passage this morning is from Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. As you're turning to Matthew 18, it's good to be here this morning. I was in Tennessee this week uh, having youth leadership training. I see Banks was really excited that I was in his neck of the woods. Uh, but yeah, it was, it's been a good week, and I hope everyone has had a good week. Uh, but if you haven't, I'm, gl- I'm glad you're here. Uh, whether your week's been joyous or sorrowful, sorrowful, it is good that we gather together and worship the Lord. So, with worship in mind, let us turn uh, to God's word. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with the servant. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him of that debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the master what had taken place. Then the master summoned him to him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And then in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is your word. Lord, I do ask that your spirit be alive in us. And I pray, Father, that our hearts are turned to you and turn in forgiveness to one another. Lord, if I speak anything false or untrue, I pray that they fall upon deaf ears. May our faith deepen and may our love grow. Amen. I know it's a bit of an understatement, but Jesus was a great teacher. One of the things he did, he he used stories to great effect. And uh, he taught in many different ways. He preached, he had his sermons, he would ask guiding questions, but Man, his stories, uh, which we call parables, those those hit kind of different. And as scientists have studied, it turns out that the mind holds together things in the form of stories. And of course, Jesus knew this, and so he told stories. Now, some of his stories are very difficult to figure out what they're talking about. 
What comes to mind for me is the parable of the hidden pearl. It gets really confusing as to what the pearl represents. Is it the believer finding the kingdom of heaven? Or is it Jesus securing the kingdom of heaven for the believer? Is it both? Possibly. They can be difficult. Some stories are so rich in meaning that we always just come back to them and there could be full books written about them, like the story of the prodigal son. You read it once and you see, like, ah, this man who runs away, the son who was arrogant and asked for his inheritance, he comes back. I can relate to that so much. You read it again and you look at the father and you're like, this is a loving man. Surely our father in heaven is like this. And you're moved to awe. And then you read it again and you realize the father's last words are actually to the older son, the one who stayed faithful to encourage and exhort him. And you realize, hey, what's going on there? And then we get to stories like this. It's not overly complex in structure. There's basically three different parts. I believe most of everyone understood the parable by the time I finished reading it. It's not exactly subtle. There's not very many layers to it, not like some of the other ones. Now, this parable hits for a completely different reason. There's a ton of weightiness to it. You read it, and as you begin to understand it, it, it really just hits like a brick. It has all these subtleties of a sledgehammer. So, let's dive into it. And this is going to be the main point of the sermon. It's very simple. But the Lord has given us forgiveness. So we must likewise forgive. And I'll say it again. The Lord has gifted us forgiveness. So we likewise must forgive. The story, it begins simple enough. See, Jesus had just got done instructing the disciples on how church discipline should be done. To rebuke a brother, to bring more people in if he continues to persist in sin, to bring the church council in, to... Uh, continue to bring someone back into the fold and into the light. And then Peter asks a very good question. Uh, He goes up to Jesus and he thinks he has it figured out. And he says, how long until I can stop forgiving? How long, O Lord, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, that's a good number. Seven is a heavenly number. It is a spiritual number of completeness. Uh, Peter is really kind of going for a Sunday school answer here. He's going to get the brownie points. Seven times? That's the right answer. Right, Jesus? And Jesus responds pretty bluntly. I said, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Jesus has escalated a very practical question with a very practical answer to something that is very impractical. He has taken something that is easy and, uh, to follow and understand, and he has raised it to uh, amazing proportions. This is the kind of answer that's dumbfounding. Peter's tr- 
trying to be consistent, trying to understand. And he, Jesus presents the answer in such a way as like, you're still not getting it. Basically, what Jesus is saying here is he's taking a number of completeness and multiplying it by another number of completeness to make it complete upon complete. In other words, saying you should always forgive. And to drive the point home, as if Peter didn't already feel rebuked enough, Jesus tells a story. So we begin uh, right with this king. Uh, he begins with this king who's calling his debts in. Uh, he is beginning, the king wants to settle everything. He is saying, it is time. The bill is due. And one of the servants owes him 10,000 talents. And it simply says he could not pay. Now, if you're familiar with ancient Israel currency, which I'm sure many of you are, uh, 10,000 talents is a lot of money. I actually had to look it up because I wasn't exactly familiar with how much a talent is. Uh, basically, it's so much money, there is not much difference between saying 10,000 talents or an infinite amount of money. It's extreme. So extreme, in fact, the king, Herod the Great, the king of the area, he ruled Judea, Samaria, Galilee, all these places that Jesus visited, in his ministry, and then some more. All of these territories the king owed, and his annual revenue was only about 900 talents a year. And that's the king. In other words, King Herod could not pay this debt. What is a servant going to do? Now at this point, I think... Peter is going to begin to see, if I were Peter, I imagine he's starting to see the weight of this, starting to see how heavy it is. He's really undershot this idea of forgiveness. And Jesus tells him a ridiculous number, and then he comes again with this huge number. And the king demands payment. And when they can't be met... The king was like, I will at least get a portion of it. I will sell you and your family and all everything that you would have. At least get something back out of it. I mean, you probably wouldn't make a dent in this debt. It is very much so. And so the guy pleads for mercy. Because what else is he going to do? There's nothing else. He has no other choice. He has to go to his knees. He has to plead for mercy because this debt is insurmountable. And the most shocking thing happens in the story. The thing that would shock the apostles, probably shock Peter, especially the king forgives. Not only does he forgive him, he releases him. He lets him go. He gives him his life back. What a relief. What incredible joy. The whole family can live again. They are no longer under this pressure. They're no longer under this weight, under this stress. Jesus is making a direct parallel here between the relationship of the servant and his debt to the king and us and our sins against the creator. 
The psalmist of Psalm 130 understood this. He writes, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. When the Lord calls in, if the Lord were to call in our debt of our sin and say, Where is your righteousness? Where is your obedience that I asked of you? We have no footing to stand upon. We could say, I'm doing better than him, or at least I'm not as bad as her. But that's the comparison. That's it. that's, That's not the debt we owe. If we're asked to jump to the moon and I jump higher than somebody else, I still fail tremendously. Nothing of our own, there's nothing that we can say, there's nothing that of our own righteousness that we can present to the Lord and say, Lord, this this makes up that debt. We can we can never be enough. And that's hard. And I know our, our society is constantly longing to be enough. But when it comes to God and his righteousness, we cannot. We can never do enough. We can never be good enough. We can never be holy enough. We can never be kind enough to earn that spot in the eternal kingdom. But Christ also demonstrates a great beauty in this parable. And it has the same parallel. The king forgives this debt of 10,000 talents, which might as well be 100 million bajillion dollars. It There's forgiveness. Yes, we cannot stand on our own accord, but we don't have to because Jesus does that for us. Jesus is enough. He is our king. He is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our savior. Jesus Christ is enough. He is the one who has secured our forgiveness. He is enough for the Heavenly Father and He is enough for us and He claims us as His brothers and sisters and so it is His enough that we rely upon. In Christ, our Savior, our God, we have forgiveness. We are the servant who gets on his knees and pleads for mercy and Jesus grants it. For those who place their faith in him, we don't have to earn it. We don't have to make up this debt that we will never meet. Christ has done that for his people. He has taken that debt away. He has given us his glory. He has given us a forgiveness that allows us to be in the throne room of the king. Everything that would be cast away, everything that would be thrown away. Jesus forgives. And he does so. In doing so, he gives us freedom in life. Stuart, over Christmas break, continued to encourage us to ruminate on the miracle of Jesus, and ruminate and ponder and dwell upon the love of our Savior. 
And so I'm going to ask you this morning, have you done this? Have you dwelled on the forgiveness of Christ? Have you seen the vastness of His love? Have you pondered His mercies? The kindness of His forgiveness? We live in what's called the Bible Belt. There is a lot of old Christian culture that still remains. And so it's easy, especially if you grew up in the church, to kind of like, yeah, Christ loves me and forgives me. That's great. And then move on. Because it's familiar. But just because it's familiar, don't, don't let it pass you by. This past week, I actually got to see one of my professors uh, who taught me in seminary, and I was really excited because he remembered me, even though I was not a good student at that point. But we were talking, and he was booking a flight, and I was kindly interrupting him. Uh, but he, as we were talking, he told me he didn't like flying. And I'm curious, why don't you like flying? Uh, he's from England. He flies quite a bit. And he says, well, even though I fly fairly often, there's something unnatural about sitting in a metal tube up in the air. And so as much as he's flies, he can't get over the fact that he is doing something that humans were not created to do. Don't get over the fact that Jesus has forgiven a tremendous. Jesus has forgiven us a tremendous debt, tremendous sin. Brothers, sisters, we we know Jesus. We have had his word for 2,000 years. Many of you were raised up in the faith. Don't let that diminish the love of the Savior. Our sins are... They are very much like the servant's debts. And like the servant's debt, we have been forgiven of the same magnitude. Those sins that we have committed, even the sins of our na- against our neighbor, are ultimately sins against God because we are sinning against people that are made in his image. Those sins in our lives, they should be held against us. But the amazing love of Christ does not hold them against us. And if you're not a believer, and if you're unfamiliar with Jesus, if you're unfamiliar with the faith, know that this is the love that is offered. That there is a creator of this world we have sinned against. And it is a tremendous debt. Yet in Christ, we have forgiveness. And with this kind of gift, for indeed it is a gift. Forgiveness should overflow in our lives. Let's continue on in the story because it happens in three parts. And this next part is how does the servant react with this new forgiveness? Well, the servant goes out. We see the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now let's take a minute here. We've talked about 10,000 talents and how that is an incredible sum. A hundred denarii is significantly less so. It was maybe a month's pay. 
a few days' wages, possibly. Notice he says, even the servant says in the second part, have patience with me and I will pay you. Now the first servant plead, I will pay you everything. The servant's like, I'll pay you. He doesn't have to emphasize everything because a hundred denarii is something one could cover. That, was, that, that is the expected part. It could be assumed. And our man... Our servant, who has seen great forgiveness, attacks him, chokes him, and puts him into prison. Attacks him, chokes him, puts him into prison. Now, reading this should make us feel a little uncomfortable. I know if I were Peter, Peter had to feel foolish at this point. He asked a simple question, and now he's seeing the story of the servant who just has been forgiven a tremendous amount and is now attacking somebody else over a small debt. Really something insignificant that came before. And the hypocrisy is, is overwhelming. It's blatant. You might as well have a neon sign saying, hypocrite. And there's certainly no reflection, no show of gratitude, no show of thankfulness, no show of relief and kindness of what the king just did for him. He doesn't act as if he had just been given his freedom. It's such a jarring about face. It's disturbing. It's as if he didn't understand. You should have seen that love. It should, you would think it would be life-changing. And if we are going to forgive, as Jesus is telling Peter how much we should forgive, Peter, he's answering Peter's question. If we're going to do this, if we're going to demonstrate this kind of love to our neighbors, uh, to our community, to those around us, then yes, it's, it's going to require an understanding of the love of Jesus. This man has just been given something amazing and he turns around and he demands something petty. He doesn't understand. He didn't grasp the situation. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Christianity, there's an image that we like to use to talk about our cup overflows. You, know, like you ever play the game where you're filling up your drink cup with Coke Zero and you're trying to get it right to the rim, but you don't want it to spill out all over your desk and computer? The forgiveness of God is very similar. It is filling up a cup. But instead of stopping at the rim, God continues to pour out. And it overflows into our life. And it should... It fills our hearts with love, grace, joy, mercy, forgiveness. But as where we don't want to spill our drink, the Lord wants us to be saturated, 
pouring out, so not until our hearts are just full. Yes, our hearts are full, but our own lives are full of God's love. His forgiveness touches upon everything that we do. It's so amazing. It's something that we should dwell on. It's something well that we go back to again and again until our lives, all of it, reflects this wonderful mercy. When our heart aches, it is this to the Spirit that we go to who provides us hope. It is on the Spirit's strength that we reach out. It is on Christ's strength that we forgive those who have wronged us. Because if we rely on ourselves, if we rely on who we are, we're going to run out of compassion. We're going to run out of love. We're going to burn ourselves out and we're going to say, I cannot do this anymore. But if we look to the Savior, if we look to his beauty, to his beautiful forgiveness, to his marvelous gift, we don't have to rely on ourselves. We just use the same forgiveness that Christ has given us. This servant could barely make it, I don't know, a hundred yards. He doesn't go far. And he has this great hypocrisy that kind of hits you over the head like a frying pan. He almost acts like, he, he, he acts like the king's kindness frees him from the king and separates him from his kingdom, as if his ties with this king are severed. But that's not how Christ's forgiveness works. It frees us from our sin. It gives us life. It holds us to him, that we may cling to Jesus, that we may cling to Jesus in loving others and forgiving others. This is the beauty of that gift. This is the forgiveness. It brings us into his glory. And as we see in the last part, Christ will we'll bring judgment on those who fail to forgive. Jesus continues, beginning in verse 31. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. Of course they were. They've just seen a great, a great evil happen. And so they go and they report it to the master, the master summons him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should, you, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Part of me reading this is like, yes. This man is getting his comeuppance. Justice is being done. Can you imagine what Peter's feeling at the moment? 
Peter, thinking, I've got something figured out. I know how much I should forgive people. And then he's hearing this, and he's like, oh, no. There's justice if we do not forgive people. See, Jesus does not seem to be concerned here with symbolism or patterns the way Peter was. I'll forgive seven times, and Jesus is just taking that and blowing it out of proportion. Jesus is reminding Peter, his his apostle, if the forgiveness we receive is heavenly, then the forgiveness you should give, the forgiveness you show, should be heavenly. Even at the end, he says, my heavenly Father, who, who will be like the king who brought about justice, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Christ's heavenly Father, our heavenly Father, He is the one who meets out justice. He is the one who forgives. This is not a new teaching to Jesus. He's not bringing up something new. In fact, He does this earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Right after the Lord's Prayer, He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will you, your Father, forgive your trespasses. Even the prayer itself, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is the prayer that the Lord taught us. That we should forgive the way our Heavenly Father forgives. Now we claim as believers, God's forgiveness, Christ's love is life-changing. The debt that we owe, the sins that we have committed, that's not held against us anymore. That frees us from our sin, that brings us to life. So our hearts should change, therefore who we are should change, therefore our interactions with our neighbor should change. We should show that forgiveness. If we are his representatives, and the church is the ambassador of Christ to the world, that is one of our roles as a church. And we must show this heavenly love. We must show this heavenly forgiveness. It is an amazing gift. It is awe-inspiring. But it's not one that we just keep for ourselves as if we're kids arguing over who gets what under a Christmas tree. We are brothers and sisters in Christ who have been forgiven of our sins and we should show that forgiveness. We show the way. This is, this is the way to eternal life and saying, yes, we... We see. And yes, it can be hard, it can be difficult. There are wounds that need to be healed, but that healing comes from the Lord. And if we can't show that, 
If we cannot demonstrate that love, if we cannot demonstrate that forgiveness in our interactions with our neighbors, in our interactions with our family, then how are we going to sit here or stand outside and speak to our neighbor and say, yes, Jesus is my brother? So let us be abundant in our gift of forgiveness. Let's, let's go forward with the humility knowing that we are forgiven. And let us show that Christly love every opportunity that we can. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is, this is your story. This is a story that Christ has given to us. And as we dwell in this forgiveness, Lord, give us the strength, give us the love, give us the humility to show and demonstrate this forgiveness to others. In Jesus' name, amen.